Today's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screen. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught from the donkey. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, but you said Using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. <laughs> when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And no one should not condemn you either. Go and leave your life to sin. The word of our Lord. Sexuality is this wild and wonderful and awesome 
almost uncontrollable gift from God that he intends for certain purposes. And we're, we're familiar with some of those purposes and, as in reproduction and there, there's a, a joint intimacy within the context of uh, the marriage covenant relationship between us and wife. How this, then this becomes a metaphor and this is the part that is often missed that your sexual your sexuality becomes connected to your spirituality and it points towards the eternal picture that we have of God marrying his people in the book of Revelation and the hints that we find elsewhere in the scriptures. And that, that is a life of the Trinity, this, this giving and receiving love. And so your life, uh, if you're in that kind of relationship, is, is not, it has meaning and purpose beyond what you experience. It's a metaphor. It's an emblem. And then also for the single person, the New Testament does something radically different than the Old Testament. Uh, and the New Testament defines the single life, the single celibate life, as also pointing to that future. And it is also a metaphor or an emblem and in a unique and powerful way. So Jesus came as a single person. And the, the, the truly human person, God himself, uh, is single. And uh, it opens up all kinds of possibilities there. That the world hasn't been covered with yet. But there's that. Now, so what I, I wanted to do, and I mentioned this, I think it was in week two of the series, the idea of a puzzle box. And I actually brought one this morning. I'm going to open it up because it's, well, it's a garage sale puzzle box, and I won't get in trouble. And, uh, but it's, the idea is that if you were to try to put this puzzle together, and this is a, uh, by Peter Bruegel, the younger, there, there were two, there was the older and the younger, just like there's two marks on the staff. Here we go. Some of you are thinking that. Um, but you, if you just had the pieces and you said, if somebody said, put it together, how would you do it? What do you need? You need this right here, right? To put the puzzle together. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to dump it out here. I'm going to use this as an illustration. Oops, I hope we got away. <laughs> I need some help later, Teddy. <laughs> This is why you don't sit in the front row. <laughs> uh, but this, so we have this, this picture God gives us of sexuality that, that I've just described for you. And we can see it, you can see the purposes of it. But we kind of live with the pieces, trying to put them together. Alright, so if you were an entity, and the Bible talks about this entity, whose name I don't like to mention in church, but it basically means liar or accuser. And if you wanted to mess with God and his people, what would you do? Well, you uh, maybe you try to convince people that just put it together yourself. You don't need this. Um, and you know, it's really hard to put a puzzle together if you don't have edges. There's no boundaries. That's tough. You know, that's why I, that's where you start, right? I mean, that's, if you don't know that strategy, you should know that strategy about putting puzzles together. Get the edges and fill in. But probably the main thing you want to do is blur this picture, or hide it, or keep it somewhere where it can't be seen. And uh, anything to keep people from seeing God's eternal purposes. So, uh, to get closer to where we're going. One of the main things, and I, I don't know if I've convinced you all, but one of the main things that church people need to say is that I... I'm a sexual sinner. I too am a sexual sinner. I am broken. 
in my sexuality. I have not always lived from that picture. I have lived out of the pieces. And if you can say that, now you have possibilities for God's healing in your life. If you can't say that, as we'll see in the story, you can join the Pharisees. How's that for a <laughs> Have a party with us guys. We'd just love to have fun, right? Yeah. But it's hard to get people to really buy into this. So uh, we're going to go there again. But what happens when God comes in contact with one of these sexual sinners, broken sinner people? What happens? Does he shame them? Does he leave them? Does he condemn them? Or do they become an emblem? A metaphor for something beautiful. And that's the story that we have for us today. And um, when you come to community today, you're invited to come. You know, nobody has to come, but there's two tables up here. And I just want to say it now, and I'll say it again later, but it's only for people who are broken. If you've got your life together, don't bother with communion. It's where Jesus is to meet with people like us. Okay? And then after this message downstairs, after the ser- uh, service downstairs, will be a conversation. So we had a great conversation last week and the week before, and if something gets said, uh, need clarity on it, we want a list of resources. You want to pursue something further. And then also tonight, uh, we're going to have a time, what time is that? 6.30? Uh, a time that, if you just feel like this is too sensitive to in your life, and you just, you just want it'll be a smaller group, I'm sure, and uh, come and talk. But it's good to talk about this stuff. That's one of the things we've learned, I think, during this series. You're not the only one. It's one of the devil, oops, I said his name. One of his ways of getting us to not seek healing is to get us to believe that we are the only one. All right, uh, I want to get this. Uh, in the, there we go. Uh, sexual sinner, we're going to look at this woman, we're also going to look at ourselves. She has a past, and she's accused, and then Jesus doodles. Isn't that kind of fun? We'll see what happens there. And then along with Jesus. Alright, so I have to say something a little bit technical here about this passage, and those of you who are, are careful in your, in your Bible reading, come to this passage in Mark chapter 8, or it actually starts at the end of chapter 7, but it, there's a little note in your, in your Bible that says this, this passage here that we have is not found in the original manuscripts or the earlier, earlier manuscripts that we have. And so uh, John, you find lots of versions of John from the early times, second, third centuries, without this story in there. So, warning bells, not going on, and, and, uh, but it's in there. And so they, they, they put it in there. So let me explain why they put it in there. With, with the caveat. They put it in there because they, it was also found in Luke's Gospel in uh, a couple of different places. And scholars believe that uh, it, it, just, it just sounds so authentic that the early church struggled to find, they just didn't know where to put it. And so it, it ended up landing here uh, in, in John's Gospel. And it just sounds so much like Jesus that we won't remember where else. It, it, it's considered authentic that this, this really did happen. So uh, that's the best explanation I can give. But I felt like you might need to know that. So um, she has a past. This woman, she's been accused of adultery. I want to start with us because we have pasts, right? 
And if it's true that we're all broken, that we're all uh, sexual sinners at some level, in some degree, that we have all not connected the box picture with those strong, wild, almost uncontrollable urges that we have. I mean, we are broken. And there's places in, in us where, um, I mean, there's secrets in there. I shared a secret here a few weeks ago. If you were here, you, you heard it. And if you weren't here, I'm not going to share it again. <laughs> but, and that's just one. You know, people come up to me and say, oh, you're, you're so brave to do that. Well, maybe, but I shared one that I felt safe sharing 40 years after it happened. And there's other things that still haunt me uh, from whatever. And I, I just feel like when you, when you look at this clear, pure picture of what God has intended for sexuality, that how can anybody stand before Jesus, and I'm, we're going to go there, Jesus and you alone, how can you stand before him and say, I'm clean? Without his grace. I mean, we, so if you've ever thought sex was dirty, that's not, that's not, that's not on the picture. You're in the pieces. If you ever use sex for manipulation, you're in the pieces. You're missing the picture. And then all the various objects forms of, of objectification of women and, and pornography and whatever. There's just a lot here. And, um, and then we have this confusion that we live with. And I just want to touch on it because it, it uh, came out earlier. I didn't have time. But we live with a, a confusion. In, let me get this up here. For, well, basically, I'll tell you what it is. And I'll get a quote up here. It's the confusion that we hear in our culture that sex is everything. Meaning that it is my core identity. Instead of being a part of who I am, it is the core of who I am. It is my authentic, true self. It, trans- it helps me transcend normal life and-, and feel like there may be something out there. It's whatever. There's that, and then there's the, um, the realistic, kind of low-level view, uh, reductionist view, that it's no big deal. So we live between sex is everything, and sex is no big deal. And we live between those statements in our culture pretty much all the time. So I found, uh, this is from Jonathan Graham, our sex-saturated culture asks two conflicting and searching questions. Why would we deny ourselves one of life's essential essential experiences, and why would we go to such heroic lengths to restrain ourselves when sex is no big deal? You hear those questions asked pretty much simultaneously. Now, you know why we're confused. This is, if we take our, our readings from, not from the box, but you know, out of pieces, uh, there's, that's us. Well, let's go to the woman. And uh, she has a past. Uh, we don't know what that past was. Uh, she's accused of adultery, but adultery comes in many, many forms. Could have been a one-night stand, could have been a pattern in her life, could have just been one guy or 20 guys. No, it could be that her husband is abusive, and she finally found somebody who loved her for who she was. Her hearts would be a little bit sympathetic. Or it could be that she just got tempted and you know, tired of, of her husband who wasn't excited enough, and whatever. Here's that, to tie into that one, here's a Russell Moore quote. The devil knows that way to take one down is not through a division spouse, but through a division self. I mean, it could have been any of those. But, um, you know, she has a past. That's all we know. And so do you. So what's going to happen here? 
Let's go to the accused that are, see how they do it, these guys, these Pharisees. They quote from the law of Moses. And if you know anything about Jesus, he loves the law of Moses, but he doesn't usually interpret it the way that his, um, I guess I could say his enemies do. Remember, he loves his enemies, but they are always coming against him. Here we go. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now, that's it. You make her stand before the group. What, what gender is this group? Yeah, this, this, this should stir some things up here. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? Let's talk about the law of Moses for just a sec. Um, the law of Moses gives a bad rap uh, oftentimes, and we're going to be reading the law of Moses here over the next eight weeks, right? So read it carefully. And it is confusing in places um, where I not eating shrimp and oysters, which I love. <laughs> all that. But, but you know, we can sort all that out as we go through it. But one of the things you notice about the law of Moses is how, how much care is taken to make sure that justice is done and not overdone. And so false accusations are treated very, very uh, soberly and seriously. So here's, here's the law of Moses, basically, I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell on this issue, is that uh, you have to have two witnesses, two eyewitnesses, not one, but, but two. And, get this, when it came, comes to adultery, you, you, it's not like you see a woman coming out of the man's door and, you know, what do you call that, uh, circumstantial evidence. You have to actually catch them in the act of sexual intercourse. That's it. I mean, you have to, two people have to, to see them for um, this, and, and this is to um, make sure that there's not false accusations. And the other part of it is that no one, neither of these two witnesses, can be guilty of the same crime themselves. So there, there you go. That's, that's the law of Moses. Now, here's the, here's the good news for some of you. Stoning is not a good thing. Maybe we don't say that. Stoning, and it happens today, particularly in Muslim countries, where Muslim fundamentalism is, is uh, close to hand. still happens in our world. And um, here's the good news, though. In the time of Christ, there, it hardly ever happened. This would be very, very rare. And uh, for reasons that I won't go into, but except for the one primary one, which is that the Romans, who now ruled, who ruled over Israel during that time, were in control. And they, by decree, and Roman law was not something you messed around with, were the only ones who could uh, inflict capital punishment, which is why Jesus died on the cross and was not stoned to death. I mean, it was, the cross was the Roman way of crucifying or killing people. So, um, it already ever happened in the time of Christ. But what, in this picture here, I already give you a hint, what's really missing? It's not, in, it's not congruent with the law of Moses. How many, yeah, how many people does it take to commit adultery? Why the woman? 
And some of you are like, you should be angry. But this is not right. So Jesus is going to not deal directly with that, but you can see that in the text. That the man, but according to the law of Moses, he should be here too. So they're, they're being selected in their application of the law of Moses. <laughs> now, what they're really after, though, isn't the woman, is it? Did you, did you read it carefully? They said this to trap Jesus. They want to trap him. Why do they want to trap him? Because he's a threat to, to them, their power structure. And so he's on the horns of a dilemma, it seems, that if he says, to heck with the law, I'm going to side with the woman here, uh, just because I'm compassionate, whatever, then he gets accused of being a lawbreaker or somebody who doesn't pay attention to the law of Moses. Now, what does the scripture say? That he fulfills the law of Moses. He gets to the essence of it, and he lives it out completely. He never breaks it. The law of Moses is fulfilled in him. So that would be a real problem for us, that how does he... How does he not pay attention to the woman? So he can't really go there. And the other side of the woman is if he says, to heck with the woman, we're just going to, it's all law. You know, if you, let, if you let one in, you let the whole group in. And, you know, just give them an inch, they take a mile, that kind of thing. That law and order! And, you know, people love pastors to come down on the side of morality. And I, I, I would take a strong moral stand. Yeah. Yeah, right. He doesn't do that either. Jesus can't win here. Except Jesus always wins. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's how they've set it up. He can't win. And that's why they're, it's called trapping. Well, let's see how he doodles his way out of this one. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened it up. So, just picture that. Doodling with his finger in the sand. And they were, they were, they kept on questioning him. Uh, they're not leaving him alone. They're persistent. Because he's the one they're after. And then he straightens up. So he makes himself tall. And he apparently looks at them and says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he again scooped, or went down and stooped down and wrote some more on the ground. So the question that often comes up, and it ties in here, is, is sexual sin any different than other sins? And, you know, because in the history of the church, and um, probably in the history of your lives, it has been somehow designated as um, the, the sin, or one of these sins of, you know, in the hierarchy of sins, it's, it's you know, the scarlet letter, whatever. It's just, it's got a special place. And maybe that's how you thought about it in, in your own heart. Is that, so well, let's sort that out just a little bit. Is it is it a, a special sin? And the answer is mostly no, but with a little bit of yes. So let me, let me try to give you my best on that one. 
Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20, is a list of sins that Paul calls the acts of the sinful nature or the fruit of the flesh, or it, it contrasts to the fruit of the Spirit. So these are bad things. You don't want to go out and do these things. Uh, please. And as I, as I read this list, I want you to think about the prodigal son. Uh, remember the younger brother was the one who, who did bad things, and the older brother was the one who stayed home and did good things. And then at the end of the story, it's the younger brother who is rejoicing and in relationship with the father, and the older son not so. So think about these sins, and I'll try to point out as I read them to you, which are older brother sins and which are younger brother sins. So here's, here's the list. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. So uh, not all of those would be attached to the younger brother in that story, but certainly uh, maybe, maybe four out of five. But then listen to these sins. These, are, these would be the sins of the older brother. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Dissensions, factions, and envy. And then it ends back with the younger, the drunkenness and orgies. That was good. It's kind of a sandwich there between these two brothers. But you can see that the sexual sin is, is just in that list, and it's not treated any differently than selfish ambition, for example. Anybody ever struggle with that one? So we have to realize that, that sexual sin is not this, in, at least in God's eyes, it's not any, it's, it's the same. There's no hierarchy. So where's the yes? Well, the yes is always in terms of the consequences. So that if I, uh, let's just say that I, uh, if Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that, that lust is the same thing as adultery, it's a form of adultery. Well, if I go out and lust, it's better in the consequences than if I go out. Which would Patty choose for me? <laughs> and that example. You see what I'm saying? The social consequences are lesser in one case and greater in the other. Jesus says, to be angry with somebody is like murder. Well, which would you prefer? Somebody being angry with you? See what I'm saying here? I mean, there is, there, so the, the consequences of how this gets worked out. So when Paul comes to this topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says that there is only one, uh, uh, that sexual sin is the only sin that does something. It's the only sin where you sin against your body. And the reason he brings that up is because your body, he's writing to, to believers here, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the consequences are, get it? How can your body, your resurrected body that's going to live forever, how can you go to a prostitute? That's what you're done. So, it, yes, it, it, it is a little different. And we have to be careful, though. Um, mostly, it's not different. The citizen. So, what happens here? We're at this moment where Jesus is doodling in the sand. What's he doodling? What do you think? Well, there's been, believe me, talk about speculation. <laughs> but, you know, based on what I just said, I'm thinking, well, maybe he wrote down words like selfish ambition, greed, uh, lust. These are all men. They didn't look that I don't know. We don't know what he wrote down in the sand. But what the effect is, is amazing. And so we can only see the evidence of the wind. We don't see the wind. Um, we're at this moment here. This is, I wanted to get um, 
This quote up here is from Dr. Julie Slatterly. Perhaps there are indeed two kinds of people. Those who are so broken they believe they can't be whole, and those who believe they are so whole that they will never be broken. Now, as it turns out, that, that what she says there, I think there's a lot of truth, but something does happen here. And those who I think they so whole, so, are so whole that they will never be broken believe the same. They, we used this language last week, I appreciate um, the younger Pastor Mark using this imagery of the window and the mirror. So they're looking through a window at this woman, this adulteress, this sinful woman. And then whatever Jesus writes in the sand becomes a mirror to them, to their sin. That's all we can say. So there she is, all alone with Jesus. Now that's kind of scary if you don't know anything about Jesus, but it is scary in the sense that so those whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. So who can cast the first stone? Jesus. I mean, he's without sin. That's that's standard. It's tied into everything about him. He defines life without sin for us. So she's alone with the only person that can truly condemn her and cast a stone at her. So what's he going to do? And this is where we have to play ourselves into the story because if we are all sinners, this is our spot. This is our place. This is where we deal the real me before the real Jesus. And Jesus again straightens up, just as he did um, earlier with the and the teachers. And um, the older, let's see here, verse, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she answers, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Which is, um, now, now to get this, get this this is the gospel in its purest form, right here. Ever wonder what the gospel is? Well, here, here, here it is, boiled down. She is guilty. She's guilty. And she's forgiven mm-hmm. at the same time. That's the gospel. It's a beautiful picture for us to grab onto. She deserves death. She's given life. And then he says, go and sit no more. Which is part of the reason we know that she's guilty. I mean, Jesus wouldn't say that, but she had. But go and sit no more. In other words, look at this box, the puzzle, and start living from the puzzle box. See what God has for you. See the best for you. See what He wants for you. And live from there. Well, it's a transformational moment for, for her. She has to receive that forgiveness, which uh, apparently she does. The whole order, though, between Jesus' comments is really, really important. What if he had said, uh, stop sinning, and then I won't condemn you? See, that's not the gospel. It's basically, I forgive you, I don't condemn you, and now stop sinning. It's not fear-based, it's love-based. It's a picture on the box that says God is loving and he 
wants you. What's the emblem? Uh, what's your life? Is it a metaphor for that, or is it a metaphor for pieces spread out all over the ground? Now, the only reason, probably, this is what scholars would guess, anyway, why this wasn't plugged into John's Gospel, from John's Gospel writer, he's writing things down. He wasn't there on this one. Who's there? Just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus never wrote anything other than what we have in this band that got washed away. <laughs> it's the only thing we ever have. The only thing, you know, he wrote something. You know that. So who told the story? Who's that person that's going around Jerusalem saying, I've got a story. It's about Jesus who caught me. I was guilty and he forgave me. And my life is an emblem of his grace forever and ever. So we have communion. And communion is a beautiful emblem, metaphor. The sacrament points beyond the table to the love of God. So what I'm going to do is prepare our hearts and uh, I don't know, why don't we stand up because we can say it better. This is from Psalm 51. There's three slides here. These are snippets from Psalm 51. Uh, it's that what that psalm is all about. Prayer and confession, David, Bathsheba, sexual sin, you know. It was there. And this is David's, these are his famous words. And I want you to read these with me. We'll try to uh, get these three slides together here. Let's, let's go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, lie out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with this, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 